eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And this is our Tennessee Titans preview podcast. And Logan, as we build out our Odyssey podcast network, there are two teams that have avoided the Odyssey gods so far. The New York Jets and Tennessee Titans. So it's just us today. Yeah, those wow. we have uh, we have podcasts for uh, twenty nine or I guess thirty of the thirty two teams, uh, twenty nine other teams plus us, uh, and so we will continue certainly as we go throughout the year to have those folks on. Uh, but we have reached a week where we do not yet have a podcast in our ever growing podcast universe, uh, and so you're stuck with us. Uh, the good news is, hopefully, you like us. You're a subscriber, perhaps even if you haven't uh, subscribed and downloaded the podcast. Make sure that you do that on your favorite podcast app. All right, Logan, uh, there's a lot to talk about. Let's even start in-house. Like, we've watched a lot okay. of Tennessee film. I'm excited to get your breakdowns on all that. But the, the injury problems that have started to stack up for the commanders, I feel like you know, this will obviously lead into how they match up against Tennessee. But, like, how, how impactful is Sam Cosme being out with Cornelius Lucas theoretically coming in, especially when Sadiq Charles is taking over? You know, four of the five O-linemen at this point weren't opening day starters uh, as Schweitzer was the starter uh, on opening day, or I guess Norwell was a starter. Um, but yeah. they've Norwell's, I think, been out or something this week at some point. But whatever it is, there was a point at some this week where I saw four or five guys not opening day starters. Uh, now their left side is is good, uh, but they've got the injuries to Dotson as well. Like how how impactful would these injuries be on the offensive side? I mean, I think it's a big deal. Obviously, anytime you're doing uh, you know musical chairs, especially along the offensive line, I think you look at a guy like Lucas and you feel really lucky to have him on the roster because he is a good football player. And he's a guy that's going to play as close to starting caliber as you can get from a swing guy around the NFL, which is a pretty nice resource to have. Um, you know, I think obviously Cosme had been struggling a little bit, but I do think he's one of the best run blocking right tackles in the NFL. And I don't say that lightly, like the film and the, the, the data, like the PFF accrues like supports that. So uh, I think not having him in there, especially when you're trying to run the football is going to be tough. And one of the reasons, he blocks so well is because he's so athletic. You know, he can get his hat where it needs to be, and he's strong enough to move people. And Lucas, while an, a good athlete in his own right, is not quite as bendy and as twitchy and as flexible as Cosme. So that is something to keep an eye on, especially if they're going to try and run the football a lot. Like, he doesn't excel the same way that Cosme does, like sinking his hips and moving people off the spot. 
I think also like everyone's uh, probably a little bit worried about Sadiq Charles. I'm really excited to see Sadiq play some football. I think, you know, he's probably the second most athletic offensive lineman behind Sam Cosme. And so I want to see more of that. I think when we watch the Dallas tape, you know, we watched a ton of that. Um, you know, he's lighting people up on screens. You see him kind of miss a stunt, for example, but he's so twitchy and athletic. He can get back in front of it, which is something that, again, only you see like the the elite of the elite from an athletic standpoint do. And it's nice and it's nice to have two guys, obviously Cosby's out, but two guys of that kind of athletic caliber available. Um, so I'm excited to see what he does. Obviously, he's been up and down when he has that as opportunities, you know, just in terms of consistency and his injuries. Right. He's a guy that's been nicked up quite a bit. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if he makes it out of this game or how that goes, for example, but I really want to see him play some more football. Yeah. And it was funny. Cause Ron was asked, like they, they brought in a couple of other alignment, uh, practice squad level guys. And Ron was asked, Hey, are these guys like depth guys or are these guys you envision playing? He goes, well, we, we hope they're depth guys, but you know, we'll see. And that's <laughs> right. the thing is like, just, just because you're on number three or number four, uh, doesn't mean that the injuries like all of a sudden, oh, we found the injury switch. Turn it off. Right. Like, no, that's it. They're just going to continue to potentially come because that's the nature of the NFL. Yeah. And I think, you know, Nick played center last week. I think he did a good job. Obviously, he had the holding call. But I think, you know, for a guy coming in off a of three weeks notice to get your offense called, get the protections called, get the runs targeted. I think he did a fine job of that. So it's nice to have a guy who's got some playing experience, played a lot of football in his day to come in and, and be available for you. You know, it's not maybe the best case scenario, but it's it's a it's kind of a good stopgap. So again, as long as they can avoid any kind of major injuries from here on out, um, I think they'll be okay. And especially given the matchup they have in Tennessee, I think that's maybe why you feel the best about it. We can talk about that more in a second. But, um, you know, obviously Jahan being out is a huge deal because he's probably been the most consistent guy in the offense. Is that fair to say, Craig? Yeah, or? I mean, I think I think you look at him and you wish there was a little bit more production outside of the red zone, um, which I'm not necessarily putting on Jahan. We've talked ad nauseum about all of the variety of problems with this offense, uh, functionally speaking, uh, from play calling formations, uh, why things are difficult for Carson. Carson struggles without them being difficult or made difficult for it. Like, we've, we've seen all that. But, like, week in, week out, you could seemingly can count on Jahan Dotson to score a touchdown in the red zone. And that's a pretty freaking important uh, guy to have. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I think, you know, and even like down to down, like in the, in the games that he's played in, he's made big plays every game. Yeah. Right. So what does the offense look like? Not having that, we mentioned Carson's comfortability with, um, or comfort level, excuse me, with Jahan. Right. So that's something in a way it might be beneficial to take that away and say, Hey, Carson, like just run the offense without your kind of comfort biases. Uh, historically that's not gone well for Carson, but you know, maybe something happens that, that works out nicely for him here. So um, I, I do think that's probably a more significant injury, you know, when it all comes, when, all, when things are all said and done. Um, I heard Brian Robinson might be back this week. Have you got an update on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I know what everybody else knows at this right. point, uh, just for clarity uh, to the audience, we're taping this Thursday afternoon. So sure. Ron Rivera might speak or uh, we might have more of an update. I mean, the biggest thing was he practiced on Wednesday um, and he, that was his first like major, major workout. And so, right. uh, depending on how he responded to that, if he was back on the practice field on Thursday and then ultimately is able to go on Friday, he should be good. Uh, I would imagine he's back in some capacity. We don't know exactly how much yet. Uh, but that's, that's what we know on Robinson as of taping time. Sure. Right. So, uh, yeah. So again, th those are kind of all the injuries. And I think yeah. with the offensive line specifically, you feel good about Lucas coming in because there's no really 
absolute murderer on the edge for um, for Tennessee. I think they've got some good players. I think there's guys like um, uh, like Weaver, for example, who's got some pass rush ability that you say he's a nice young player who could potentially develop into something special. But I think then there's also guys like uh, uh, Autry, who number 96 for them, who plays inside, plays outside. And to me, he's their most productive edge pass rusher. He's a power guy. I think that fits right into what Lucas and right into what Leno kind of do well is like not a lot of right. He's a good rusher, but you're not seeing anybody on the same level of like, you know, um, the Dallas's pass rush from last week. So I think that you feel better about that. I think where I feel a little bit nervous is the interior specifically. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons is a very, very dynamic player. You know, he's he right now he's just to give you some context, he's grading better than Aaron Donald from a PFF standpoint, he's the, I think he's the highest graded interior defensive player. And, you know, like he's gone up against the banged up Indianapolis line. Obviously the New York Giants line is not very good, but he has been very, very productive and he shows up a lot in the run and in the past game. And so when you've got a guy, like I feel very comfortable about Norwell. I think he's done an excellent job and I think he'll hold his own in that regard. If in that matchup, it'll be tough, but I think he'll be okay. Then you get to Zach and then you get to Sadiq and Sadiq, for you know, all of his athleticism, has not played a ton of football. So this is going to be a tough one to come in on and be like, hey, um, you know, let's we got to hit a home run here in terms of protecting Carson and making him feel comfortable in the pocket. So I do think that's something to keep an eye on if you're a fan of this team. The other thing that's really good about this kind of the turnover, excuse me, is um, is the idea that Tennessee they do blitz, but they're not exceptional at pressuring via the blitz. They do do it, so it's it's part of their game. Obviously, every team does it. And they have some exotic pressure packages, but nothing. They don't run it with the same precision that Dallas does, that Detroit does. So you feel good about that. But again, then you get back to those one-on-one match matchups. Autry again, he absolutely murdered the Colts. I think he graded like 96, 97 percent. For and he's rushing inside, he's rushing outside. He's a big 6'5", 280, great power rusher, and he's got violent hands. Again, problematic, but not like Parsons problematic. And then Simmons like on. If I, if I'm if I'm if I'm the Tennessee Titans, for example, I am trying to get Simmons matched up on Sadiq as much as possible because that, like, I just want to see what Sadiq can do. And I don't think Sadiq is ready for that kind of smoke just yet. So yeah. to me, that's the, like, I want to say that's the biggest matchup, but that is, that's at the forefront of what I'm going to be watching uh, this week. Yeah. The other guy to watch that has been banged up this year, and but I think he's available this week. I mean, he played last weekend. It just hasn't popped as much because he's been banged up as Bud Dupree, mm-hmm. uh, former first round pick to the Steelers. Now, now in Tennessee has been a really productive pass rusher at times, kind of flashy up and down, not, not a super consistent player, but like he's got some juice to him. Like that's the guy that probably has the most pass rush juice for them on the outside. And if he's healing, like could potentially be a bigger factor. Um, but they've also got like, they've got good players on the back end too. I mean, Bayard yeah. is maybe he's top five, uh, maybe top three safety in the yeah. league. So I'm also curious with all these pieces mixing and matching and Nick Martin in a second week. And, you know, Vrabel certainly has a beat on Carson, beat him twice last year in Indianapolis. Like, yeah. what do they do with a guy like Bayer and their blitz packages? So what what do their pressure patch packages look like uh, once you get out of just those one-on-ones where they, as you described, could already have some advantage? Yeah, you know, and the reason I don't mention Bud Dupree is because he's a guy who ends up with high sack totals, and we talked about this on the last podcast, but not a very consistent pressure rate, if that makes sense. So even though he's very, he, he gets the stat, the sack numbers, oftentimes they're kind of in cleanup duty, 
And it's really the other guys that I just mentioned who are kind of funneling or creating the pressure for him. I think when you look at the matchups like Lucas on uh, Dupree, Leno on Dupree, like he doesn't do anything like overly – he's good rusher. He's good, but he's not in that elite category. And I personally think his backup is it gives more juice to the pass rush. So, you know, again, good football player, but nothing that kills you. I think the thing about Tennessee in the back, and you mentioned uh, Bayard, is he got Roger McCrary out of um, Auburn. I think he's a second-round pick for them. A guy that I liked but I didn't love, and everyone was kind of being critical of him from like a uh, arm length, measurable standpoint. Mm-hmm. Amani Hooker is he? I, we haven't again. We're doing this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, as of, as of Thursday, still you know limited in practice. Uh, t- trending towards being listed as questionable. He was questionable last weekend, so we d- we don't know if he would play. Sure, right. So again, I think I think when I look at the secondary, they're trying to find themselves a little bit, and as a result, I think they get a little bit more conservative which is good. You know, it's good for the commanders. It's good for some of the things of an ailing Carson, right? So like this matchup on paper, I think leans in outside of the Jeffrey Simmons. Um, I keep reading the other guys. I'm number nine, six uh, matchup in terms of pass protection. I think you feel pretty good about that. And then on the back end, I think you feel pretty good. I think at the linebacker level, you feel pretty good. I think it's just a bunch of, I don't want to say guys, but there's not like this standout name on the roster that makes you go, oh, my God, outside of Jeffrey Simmons and maybe Bayard, right? So I think it it all kind of lends itself to this idea that this is a good get-right game. They don't don't live and die by the pressure, right? Their defense at times can be kind of porous. They don't have a really standout player outside of Jeffrey Simmons. It should, on paper, it should lend itself to something more productive for for the commander's offense. However, like you mentioned, I think the one variable that we haven't really talked about yet is Vrabel and the way he motivates these guys and the way he gets the most out of these guys, right? Because they're constantly, this this roster, when you look at it on paper, you're like, yeah, they've got a couple really good football players offensively and defensively, but nobody that makes you terrified. And they're always punching up. They're always knocking out better teams. And I think it's because they're really well coached and they play really, really hard. You know what I mean? And yeah. I guess like, so again, like it just, to me, the, 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 the matchup for the defense comes in and you say like, or the, for the offense is like, how motivated is that group to come play? And of the two sides of the football, the commanders, offense and defense, the defense has been fairly motivated the past couple of weeks and they've looked good. The offense to me has looked kind of flat and, but can you get them inspired? Can you get Carson seeing the coverages? Cause it's, again, it's not, it's not Detroit. It's not Philly. It's not Dallas, right? It's going to be a little simpler and a little bit less pressure from a little bit less intense from a pressure standpoint. So to me, it feels like a kind of, I don't say get right game because again, the coaching of Tennessee is so good, but that's and kind of Vrabel, what it feels Vrabel like. knows who Carson is. Right. Like, Vrabel's no dummy. They're, right. they're going to blitz. Like, yeah. I mean, you, I would. You'd kind of, you kind of have to be, uh, let's say very dedicated, like more concerned with yourself in a way that you have like some philosophical thing that like, we don't blitz to like not watch the tape and be like, Oh yeah, we're, we're going to heat up. Well, that's, that's why I brought up the back end though. You know, the only reason right. you wouldn't blitz is because your starting safety is nicked up. You're both corner spots, at least from what I've read, you know, I haven't, I've, I've do, I go from front to back. So I've done defensive line linebackers and I'm working on secondary. Now from what I've read and what I've watched, they seem to kind of be, 
don't say in flux, but definitely the group that you're kind of like the biggest question mark, right? They're starting a whole right. bunch but of new if, pieces. It, like if I'm Vrabel, I'm going, I don't trust their quarterback to get the ball to the right place anyway. I guess that's because true. Because he's, yeah, he's he, like, and if he does, like I've got a shot that it's inaccurate because right. that's kind of who Carson has been this year and who Carson's been over many years. And, yeah. you know, especially considering their O-line play and, you, you might get some free. I mean, there was the one play last week where Turner slot. I mean, look, it's a simple, 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 simple pickup that Trey Turner literally just goes the wrong way. But those kinds of things tend to happen here. Yeah. Um, and so That's if I point. know I can get a free rusher uh, at least once or twice a game, like I'm I'm bringing the heat. I'm mixing it up. I'm, I'm trying to make Carson make a bunch of decisions, which then leads to Scott's role on the other side uh, as the OC. Uh, and by the way, one other injury uh, note is we kind of, then go to the game plan phase of this for Washington. Curtis has missed the last two days of practice now oh. with illness. Now, assuming that he comes back around and is fine by the weekend, like he'll play, but like talk about an interesting, different look for Carson this week. All of a sudden Terry's out there like this crap again. <laughs> like, right. I mean, he knows that Curtis is sick and is going to be fine. Um, at least presumably is going to be fine by the weekend. But he, like, all of a sudden, it's Terry running out there with Deami Brown and Cam Sims again. And so right. you talk about practicing and getting these reps and being comfortable, which is kind of the thing where Carson isn't. They haven't had their guys in practice this week. And I also kind of now wonder what the plan is uh, from Scott Turner. Because if I'm him, which obviously, I don't know if this is a revelation for people, but I'm not. I am not the offensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders. But if I was with Jahan out, and Brian Robinson back. I would be using two running backs on the field a lot. I would have one of them out wide. I would occasionally have both in the backfield. If Curtis is out there, I might do some funky stuff where I have both of them out in the slot and him in the back. Like I'd be mixing it up, trying to create good matchups, give Carson information. Like I would be doing a lot of that stuff using the versatility of my running backs, specifically McKissick and Gibson, knowing that I can put a little bit more of the just traditional running game on Robinson's plate. Uh, and that could include like some stuff where you kind of throw some some eye candy out there. You know, you you have Robinson out with Gibson and Gibson's just kind of lined up wide and he's not really involved in the play. It's just a handoff to Brian Robinson. But it's something to think about. It's something to get information for later down the road in the game. Like I am without the need to get Jahan, Terry and Curtis all on the field as much as possible because those are your three best players because Jahan's out. I would be using those two backs a lot and probably two tight ends with a fair amount of regularity too. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, like you mentioned, that kind of brings you to the game plan aspect of it. And I think um, one of the interesting things about Tennessee is they're listed as a base 34 front. So that's three kind of big run stopping players. Get your outside linebackers who are, you know, a Brian Arakbo, Ryan Kerrigan, more like defensive end body types. And so what I would try to do if I'm Scott is get them in that personnel as much as I possibly could. Just because if I hearken back to week one, that was a 34 front and Carson seemed to see very well against that front. And it makes sense because when you get an extra kind of big person on the field, they tend to think run first. The play action pass works a little bit better, right? Kind of dig that in there, make them feel that. And it's harder for them to buzz to their spot. So there's more space in the defense. So I would try to get them in there as much as I could, as much as I possibly could get them in that in that defense, right? I understand you get Simmons in a three technique. You're going to have to deal with that in nickel anyway. Like, let's get worse coverage players on the field and see if we get nice throwing lanes for Carson. The other thing I was thinking about is I would also try to deploy, you know, multiple tight end packages, right? You haven't really seen a ton of that. I don't know if Scott wants to be that guy, but that's something I would try to do just to kind of give them different fits, give them different looks, help with protection. But also I think you get, 
you can get better mismatches, especially against that base defense if you've got the right people on the field. Um, and also, you were, you were I was thinking about this the other day, and this is what I do for the high school. I'm a run game coordinator, so I just sit in my chair and I draw plays. But I was like, if I was going to try and get Curtis Samuel more involved, like what would I do? And what I would do is I would come out and essentially 11 personnel, right? And I would have Jonathan Williams be the running back and Logan Thomas be the tight end. And so then I would, I can get with Curtis Samuel in the game, I can get into 21 personnel and essentially um, Jonathan Williams would be the fullback, right? And Curtis mm-hmm. Samuel would be the running back. And then they will match in nickel, right? Maybe even dime. And all of a sudden we have a tremendous advantage. I get Jonathan Williams as a fullback on a nickel player and I can add gaps plus or minus strong or weak with ease. And I get a guy who's an explosive space player and Curtis Samuel and I get my whole run game available to me. Obviously I don't want him running traps and dives a ton, but I think that would be a nice way to find an edge in the run game just off of a simple personnel tweak. Right. And then if they start matching that in base, then I say, okay, there you got your 34 personnel on me out here. Let's get, let's, it's a, it's a run. Let's check to a pass. We're going to motion out. And then I have Curtis Samuel on a three, four, outside linebacker who's essentially a defensive end in coverage so again that's how i would try to exploit that match we can't do it every time but i'd have a package of that to kind of speak to that skill set speak to some of the stuff you were talking about with um with what curtis does yeah well get 10 the ball he's really good with it (laughs) you know same thing with terry get 17 the ball um what kind of self-scout do you think they do this week um i know like a lot of teams go into self-scout when they have the longer week so like coming up i'm assuming they do a big self-scout between the Bears game and what I think it's the Packers that are after sure. that. Yeah. Um, and so, like, how do you, like, on, on a short week, like, how much can you truly do? And and I would assume they would probably look at themselves and be like, we got to figure out what went wrong. And I would hope that they, you know, if we can figure this stuff out, I'd hope they can. Some of the tendencies, gun versus not, formations, and how frequently they are doing the same thing out of the same looks. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. But I also think, you know, in our like in our self-scout or that our, our scout that we did or a review what we did of the game, we came to a couple of conclusions that like Carson was missing opportunities. Yeah. So if you're the OC, and this is tough now, it's tough. It's hard yeah. for you to say this is what went wrong outside of these 10 plays because those 10 plays that Carson misses on, misses, quote unquote, are 10 plays that change the landscape of that game. So I think that's something that's really hard on a short week to do. And I understand there's some things that we found that maybe they could be better at, you know. And I I personally think the play pass element is one of them. Like they need to be a better play pass team. But that doesn't happen in a week necessarily. That happens over the course of a bye week where you have more practices to get that right. But I think it's going to be really hard to kind of say this is what went wrong because to Scott's eye, and and in some ways to my eye, despite all the tendencies, despite all the tells, despite all the kind of specific formational elements – when you get down to the brass tacks, Carson missed a lot of opportunities. And that to me, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm Turner, I kind of say, well, we got to get the quarterback to play better. So maybe that's where the self scout is at the moment. And I think that can be really challenging because it stops that kind of really critical evaluation of what you're doing as a play caller, because you say, I can't even get there. I can't even know if this stuff is working or not working because we didn't get what we needed from an execution standpoint from the most position the most important position on the field before that.